0: Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast where we hear from mothers who are creators and artists, sharing their joys and issues around trying to be a mother and continue to make art. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter and mother of two boys from regional South Australia. I have a passion for mental wellness and a background in early childhood education. Thank you for joining me. My guest today is Madison Foley. Madison is one of Melbourne's most sought after trumpet players. She started performing professionally at the age of 16 and has been a long time touring member of Alt Pop Outfit Architecture in Helsinki. She's worked with many of Australia's greats such as Ash Grunwald, Jazz Lab Orchestra and Big Scary. After returning to gig life after the birth of her son, Madison faced the pressures of not only performing as a new mum, but the pressure of pumping breast milk during gigs. The immense challenges she faced were evident with Madison pumping in some thoroughly unsuitable locations and experiencing a lack of support from venues and organisers. She realised the best way to engage venues and fellow musicians was to create an infographic that highlighted the challenges. We chat not only about this infographic, but we also discuss the challenges of being pregnant and having a baby in the midst of the COVID 19 epidemic the judgement faced by gigging mums that dads just don't have to contend with and why she doesn't get caught up in mum guilt. Welcome to the podcast, Madison. It's lovely to have you today. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Very excited.
0: So you play the trumpet. Tell us how you got into playing the trumpet.
1: So my, my dad uh, is a, was a brass band, still is a brass band leader um, in the community and um, taught music at school and so he came around to our primary school actually and they had all the instruments out so they were starting a primary school band program. I was all of five years old at the time, I think, maybe six. And um, I walked up to the guy, I'm a precocious little six-year-old and I go, hi, I want to know which is the loudest instrument. I want to play that one. And so they handed me a cornet and the rest is history. <laughs> um, you know, so going up through, you know, started in primary school, went through the local community bands, then into high school, played the whole way through, um, you know, ended up doing it at university and, you know, just never put it down again since I was five years old, basically, apart from a couple of small breaks. But yeah,
0: I've been uh,
1: pretty constant in my life.
0: So what? how many instruments do you play?
1: Well, look, well, I play the trumpet well. Uh, poorly, a lot of them. I can play very bad keyboard and very, very bad bass, nearly, no, mostly bad drums. Um, I can play a little bit of trombone. I can play most of the brass instruments. So I can play a bit of trombone, a bit of tuba, a bit of French horn, um, although my trombone-playing sisters would probably beg to differ. Um, but, you know, they none of them really get a lot of love now. It's mostly just the trumpet because um, at some stage in your life you kind of have to uh, focus in on one thing, which has never been my strong point. I've always been someone who does everything. So, uh, well, I can play the trumpet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so I read that you started playing professionally when you were 16 So what sort of gigs did you start off with? What was sort of the stuff you were doing at that age?
1: Um, So at 16, I was, my mum would take me down to the pub to go and watch um, uh, friends of mine, Johnny Wonderpants, who I still play with now all of, what's that, 16 years later. So that was, they were some of my first gigs. I'd go down to the pub and just sit in with them. I learned a few horn lines to some tunes. They just played covers on a Sunday afternoon and, they, you know, they thought it was great. There was this, you know, little 16-year-old super keen little Maddie going, hi, will you let me play with you? Um, and then I also, at school, we we um, formed a little jazz group and did, you know, gigs for like 50 bucks each or whatever, just um, whoever would hire us just playing some jazz standards. So, um, which that group actually have gone on to all be quite prolific musos themselves. There's... Cleo Renner, who now plays on Rockwiz and tours around the world with Angus and Julia Stone. There's Nick Abbey, who's over in WAPA now, and I think he teaches there, and Will Morrissey, who plays with Vance Joy. And it's all just, you know, everyone from that little group just ended up going on to do amazing things. So it's pretty cool to look back on that now. But, you know, yeah, those were mostly my 16-year-old gigs, either at the pub or at random corporate events that wanted to hire some kids really cheap, basically. (laughs)
0: oh dear so what did that sort of then leading to you mentioned other people that you've you were with did certain things what have you done then since since those 16 year old days
1: so since then I um I studied at the VCA so I did the improvisation course there um which is jazz um and uh, look I've, I'm basically. I'm a freelance museo, so I will do literally anything that anyone calls me up to do, so long as, you know, it sounds like a bit of fun or there's a bit of money in it. So I've done, you know, I've done small small group jazz, I've done plenty of big bands, so currently play with the um, Jazz Lab Orchestra um, and help to organise that one as well, play with Darryl McKenzie Big Band, um, a few others around the place. Um I was in the touring band for architecture in Helsinki for years and years, which was really, really fun. We got to play some amazing concerts to thousands of people. And, um, you know, I've done plenty of corporate gigs. Oh, a lot of corporate gigs as a <laughs> trouble player. There's plenty of them going around. Um, uh, my, current, my current project, which is probably the thing I'm most excited about in all of my music career so far, is um, a band called Fools. Um, and it's it's a thirteen-piece Americana pop rock everything soul um, extravaganza. It's just the most joyful band I've ever played in. Without any offense to any of the other amazing bands I play in, it's just it's a it, we call it the love cult because everyone just loves each other and loves making music together. So that's been that's been getting really big and going really well. But of course, um, with COVID, a lot of our grand plans have keep falling away. We're supposed to be touring in about six weeks' time up to New South Wales and Queensland um, to do Caloundra and Bluesfest and and Dashville, but all of those things are not looking super likely. Um, But hopefully, hopefully Fools keeps getting out there and keeps getting some of those very cool gigs and planning tours overseas and everything. So it's exciting times for that. Um, And that's nice because that's something I get to be, really creative with as well all the other um you know pop groups I've been in have been more um you know this is the song this is your horn lines play them now kind of thing whereas this one I'm helping to write all the horn lines we're writing the songs all together so it's a real kind of combined effort with 13 people it's very special
0: (laughs) they'll be like controlled chaos almost 13 people input (laughs)
1: absolute chaos it's hilarious but it's just the most fun I have doing anything musically it's so great
0: oh that's awesome because I guess yeah doing a lot of corporate gigs you'd sort of be doing the songs that people know you'd stick to your standards and you know you'd be limited I guess to what you could do so this would just be like you know open the floodgates off you go have fun with it yeah
1: absolutely I mean you know the jazz stuff is really creative as well um and you know if if I was so inclined, you know, there's, there's plenty of creativity I could follow in there, but I just don't have, um, I don't have the focus to kind of sit down and write a whole set of tunes myself and, you know, um, kind of get that all together. It just takes so much work. So it's something that I have done in the past, something I maybe would do in the future. But for now I'm kind of um, letting that one, you know, the, the jazz side of things, I'm just doing the big bands and then letting the creativity come out in fulls.
0: Mm, That sounds awesome. Um, So I've got to ask you, did you ever come to Mount Gambier for generations in jazz?
1: Yes. I (laughs) was an absolute Mount Gambier tragic. I still am. I've, you know, I forced my school to let me take my big band there. And (laughs) that was like, Now, Gambia was life. That was, I lived for May, you know, that early weekend in May every year. Um, I went to Wesley College, which was, you know, a big kind of big band school. My dad actually took the big band there. So it was all we ever talked about from like, you know, about October through to May, everything was about generations in jazz and, you know, going to there and getting like just getting exposed to all those amazing musos um, on the stage was amazing. Um, and then going back as an as an adult and as a teacher has been really lovely as well, and kind of seeing it change and into something completely different now. Um, it's been really nice to be part of that and share that with my students now, and see them experience that joy. It's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: it ha- it's it's grown so much. I remember Mum taking me when we were we were kids. When um, there used to be a girl, I think her name was Kelly, and she played saxophone on on Hay Hate Sunday. And I remember seeing her play. We're only at the Sir Robert Heltman Theatre, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but it's basically your normal size theatre. Yeah, and now it's grown to I don't know how many thousands of people. It's the biggest tent in the southern hemisphere. Like, all this, it's gone bonkers, and it's so wonderful. We've missed her for the last couple of years.
1: (laughs) I remember seeing Kelly early as well, and I've played in a lot of horn sections with her since. She's, like, one of the sax players I used to play with the most. So (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: Oh, if you you ever see her, tell her I I remember seeing her when I was a little girl. I would have only been probably, I don't know, 12, 13 maybe, maybe a bit older, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Amazing. It's such a generational thing. And my whole family are involved, you know, because my dad – took the Wesley band, now takes the St. Leonard's band. My sister was taking the Lowther Hall band, um, which are just schools in Melbourne. Um, my younger sister was taking the band from Caulfield. Like it was, you know, we had all of us there. My uncle was volunteering there. So one year, you know, every year we get a, fo- a family photo at Generations in Jazz and just all have a laugh about the fact that the whole family is still there. We just can't get away from it.
0: <laughs> it's like this big reunion. <laughs> you come together in May. <laughs>
1: It's a real shame it hasn't been able to happen the past couple of years. Oh.
0: Have you been able to do any teaching during COVID? Like, you're, are you locked down in, in Melbourne?
1: It's great because I've been, basically, I've been filling in for the girl that was filling in for me. <laughs> had to leave the school so I've been able to you know do my teaching go back look after Sam come back you know do another class go back and kind of share those duties um, which has been really nice it's actually been quite handy for me in terms of the <laughs> everything being locked down and you know I've got all my resources from last year and I'm probably one of the few teachers who actually quite enjoys online teaching I love the challenge of it you know having to find different ways to present it and different ways to engage students using the technology and it's just incredible how much we can do from home you know Mm. um yeah i've been doing a fair bit of teaching from there and then all these other little bits and pieces of you know everyone's getting into the lockdown recordings again so i did one last week i think um for uh all day fritz which is like a Kids band slash jazz band, which is pretty fun. Um, Fools are doing another one this week. We were doing one every couple of weeks back last year, which was very fun. So you know, it's it's kind of it's nice to do things in a different way and just change it up a bit. So I like looking at the the positives here, and you know, it's just different. It's just a different way of living, but I kind of like it in some way. uh, My partner and I were supposed to get married last year, and then we're going we were going to go on a great European adventure. (laughs) for 12 weeks so we put all this cash aside we've been saving our butts off to to do all of that and none of it happened so and then I was getting maternity leave and um he's he's kind of back at work now so we've we've been lucky throughout all of it that we haven't had to struggle with gigs being cancelled and stuff I mean we've lost plenty of money but yeah it's we've been more fortunate than others.
0: so you mentioned sam then so tell me about your little person
1: so my little person um he's about he's just about 10 months old um he is the absolute light of my life he's the best thing that's ever happened you know i was a very happy and very fulfilled person before having a kid um but I always knew I wanted a baby. I, I I always not always no sorry. I was terrified of children until I was about twenty three, and then I um, actually looked after one of my trumpet idols, Ingrid Jensen, in New York. I actually um, helped babysit her baby a few times just through you know mutual friends, and I was there and I didn't have a job and ended up kind of nannying for a couple of weeks. Um, And I was like, actually, I love children. This is amazing. And uh, from then on, it was like, all right, this is something I want to do in life. Um, So then, yeah, being with my wonderful partner, Carlo, I mean, we knew each other back when I was probably 17, 18, just hanging out in the museo crowds because he's a um, a saxophone woodwind player. Um, He does all the jazz gigs and stuff, but more so now he does the musical theatre. Um, So he plays for all of the big shows. Um, So we just knew each other through mutual friends for years and years. And then um, actually jokingly got engaged about 10 years ago at a wedding. (laughs) I caught the bouquet and I said, oh, Carlo, I don't have anyone to marry. And he said, don't worry, Maddie, I'll marry you. And I went, okay. And then, you know, like another like five or so years down the track, um, we ended up, you know, finding each other and going, oh, this is a pretty cool little thing. Um, And, you know, as things went along and, you know, from the start, I was like, I want to have kids just so you know, (laughs) this is a thing. And we were were both very, um, you know, both very happy with that path. And then, yeah, we kind of decided to, you know, not stop trying, but, you know, not prevent anything and just see what happens, just throw caution to the wind and, um, you know, lo and behold, a, a year and a half later, little Sam came into the world. So, um, we found out we were pregnant um, just at the very start of COVID. Um, so, it was kind of pretty scary times. Um and, you know, it was a bit of a surprise because like yeah, we've been going along for however long and going, okay, like, you know, it's not going to happen yet. That's all right. Um, and we've, we've been planning our wedding. So at the start of last year, we actually went, oh, you know what? Maybe this year isn't a good time. Maybe we should like wait a little bit longer and, you know, until the timing's a bit better. And as soon as we said that, of course, um, there we go. We <laughs> were pregnant. Um and, yeah, then I uh, had, you know, nine months later we had little Sam. And so he's, um, you know, he's crawling now, he's walking now, he talks a lot like his mum and like his dad, really. Um, but he looks all like me, so he's, he's good there. <laughs> In terms of the, the pregnancy, found out on the 1st of March, which – Um, You know, if you're thinking back to the timeline, that was kind of when things were starting to creep out of China and into other countries. It hadn't quite come to Australia yet. It was only maybe a couple of weeks shy of that. Um, But it was on its way. Um, I remember coming out of a a staff briefing in the morning. So I was working at the time. I was working full time as a um, head of performing arts. Um, And I was also studying part time 20 hours a week and doing gigs as well. So I was pretty busy and I just I just handed in an assignment on the day we found out. I'd handed in my second last assignment, so I was exhausted. Um, and we came out of a briefing like the next day and, you know, our, um, our principal had said to us, look, we have to start being really careful. This thing is going to come to us. It's going to get very serious. And I was walking with a colleague and she said, oh, man, my, my sister-in-law's pregnant. How much would it suck to be pregnant right now? And I just started falling my eyes out on my way to my house group. I was just crying because I just thought this is such an unknown. We don't know what this thing is. We don't know what it means for pregnancy, for, you know, an unborn baby, for a a young baby. We just don't know. Um, And so it was a pretty challenging time um, mentally and emotionally, um, you know, and then in in the weeks to come, you know, I had a lot of gigs that I just – I was so scared of, of what would happen if I got COVID. And it turned into almost like an anxiety about, you know, if I get COVID, the baby's not going to be okay. Um, so I, I had to cancel gigs, but I couldn't tell anyone. I had to, I was working from home um, for school well before anybody else was, but I couldn't tell anyone why. I couldn't come in for meetings. I couldn't come in, you know, it was all very like, keep me away from everyone. And, and my principal was really supportive of that. But I think my pregnancy was probably the worst kept secret in Melbourne because <laughs> I think everyone just just looked at me and went, "Okay, yeah, we, we figure why you can't come in," but nobody could say anything yet, so it was tricky because we had to like you know keep up pretenses of, "Oh, I've just got a pre-existing condition," but everyone knew exactly what was going on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know, then moving along, it was it was tricky kind of going through and not being able to have family around during the lockdowns. I mean, my, my poor mum, you know, didn't really get to see me pregnant very much. I had to send her photos all the time. Um, And that was, that was really tough for her as well to, because she lives um, all the way over the other side of town. There was no way we could even catch up for walks or anything. Like my sisters live close, Carlo's family live close, but um, my parents live quite far away. And so just not getting to see them, I think I didn't see my dad through the whole – or maybe once through the whole pregnancy. Um, it was really tough um, and definitely took a toll um, emotionally and, and played on those anxieties a lot. Um, and then I got a bit sick later on in the pregnancy. I got um, had gestational diabetes, which was – and it was a late diagnosis and I had to be admitted to hospital and it was all of these things and it kind of all just snowballed and, um, you know, it was – uh yeah by the time he came I was ready to not be pregnant anymore (laughs) but then at the same time you kind of look back and you go you get to those last few days and you go oh but I kind of like him being in there like I like feeling the kicks and I like you know not having a baby to look after 24 hours a day just yet you know yeah um but yeah, we ended up, ended up getting induced because of the gestational diabetes. And they thought that he was already four kilos at 36 weeks old, so or 36 weeks gestation. So they were like, we need to get this child out. Otherwise he's going to destroy you. <laughs> and he did anyway. He destroyed me coming out. They had to use the forceps and, you know, he was, he was in all kinds of, um, all kinds of stress and whatnot. But Um, still managed to have a a vaginal delivery which was wonderful Um, and had the epidural already so I was having an absolute ball in that room I just like I got in there and I was like put this thing in my back I don't care as early as possible I just don't want to feel a thing and I tell you what we were sitting there we had disco lights going we had like people on FaceTime we were playing games we were watching TV we were hanging out chatting I had a few naps by the time you came Just like, oh, I have a baby, cool, that's fun. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Would 100% recommend doing it.
0: (laughs) I want to ask you I have never played a wind instrument, but I'm a singer. So I struggled a lot when I was pregnant breathing and getting the air in the diaphragm breathing was that an issue for you like physically being out of play
1: absolutely I mean I think in in some ways I'm kind of grateful for having been in lockdown for a lot of the pregnancy especially the later part for that reason because I didn't ever have to push myself to a point where I went no I can't do this anymore because all I was doing was um like ISO, like ISO recordings kind of thing. And so I could do as many takes of them as I needed. I could do them in a few shots if I needed to. And I was, like, if you see the, the last Fools recording, I had quite a pregnant tummy and you can see me being like, <gasps> trying to get the air in. I mean, it was hard enough just going for a walk around the block, let alone getting enough air to play the trumpet. So I think um, if, if I had been in, in normal life trying to do that, I think there probably would have come a point where I just would have had to go, no, no more. Um, so it's kind of nice that I never had to make that decision and and, um, and push it to that point. I just got to maybe 30, I think about 34 weeks, and I just went, yeah, that's cool. I'm not going to do it anymore. That's fine. I've got nothing to up. I don't need to. I was still playing for work up until that stage, just playing along with my students and whatnot. Um, but yeah, definitely the breathing thing is hard. It's very- <laughs> luckily you know as soon as the baby's gone like that all goes you know your organs move back into place and it's like i can breathe again (laughs) (laughs) they're so so similar singing and brass playing it's all about the diaphragm and all about the you know the way that you use your air and the speed of the air and everything Mm -hmm. it just would be really hard but i've read about people playing trumpet up until 38 39 weeks you know i think it can happen but i think those people are very special
0: I first came across you on the mother load website and you've done this amazing article and infographic about the challenges of pumping while you're gigging and I just related to that instantly and I was like oh my god I get this totally I understand I've pumped in some wacky places and some weird times and I thought this is wonderful that someone's actually done something about it so tell us how that came about. <laughs>
1: Look, I'm, I'm trying to do something about it, you know, it's, it's such, it's probably the biggest challenge I've faced as a parent, um, which sounds like it, it sounds so trivial, but people don't understand how hard it is and how demoralizing it is to spend all of your breaks sitting in a dingy toilet stall trying to keep all your beautifully sterilized equipment still sterile when, you know, there's hits all over the floor and it's like, it's really tough. It, it kind of, look, it came about, I have, um, when, so when I was pregnant through lockdown, I had to really seek out some um, opportunities to talk to people who were also pregnant, and it just so happened that there were seven other female musos in Melbourne who I knew who were also pregnant. And, it, like, so one kind of emailed me and then said, hey, Maddie, I saw you're expecting a baby, so are we. And then another one, hey, Maddie, are you, uh, we're also pregnant. Oh, hey. like, And so it just kind of, they all started writing to me, and I went, wait a second, maybe we could turn this into a group. Um, so we started our, uh, our, what do we call it, Muso Mums group. And it was a, like a, a Facebook messenger group, uh, pregnancy support group. We'd do Zooms kind of every week or two and just talk about what was going on, how we were feeling, shared, you know, um, experiences of pregnancy, um, all of our fears about, you know, post Um, You know, giving birth and what that would look like, how we were going, you know, everything. And it was just the most beautiful group. They still are the most beautiful group of humans who just kind of pump each other up and keep each other going. And so now it's turned into from a pregnancy group. Everyone's now had their babies and it's a um, it's a, you know, parents group. Um, and we we catch up, you know, pre-lockdown, we we catch up every um, so often, we get our bubs together, they have a play, we have a talk or a drink a beer or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever we can do. Um, all the guys come along as well, they're mostly musicians as well. Um, and, and so it's turned into this amazing kind of support group. So. When I was, um, you know, early on when doing lots of gigs through that kind of, you know, summer, you know, February, March, April, May season when things were really busy and I was going out, you know, two, maybe three nights a week and, um, you know, pumping in all kinds of places and it was just feeling so hard. I, I mean, I got to the point of wanting to either give up and, and just, you know, go with um, formula or, you know, um, give up doing gigs. gig. It felt overwhelming, you know, having to take all of the equipment. You know, you're in these, you know, you're in a nice dress for the gig and you have to get the whole dress off. You have to put everything on. You have to strap the things in. You have to plug them in. You have to turn the thing on. Then you have to sit there for 15 minutes. Then you have to wash everything and then you have to get it all back into your little box and into the bag. And the whole process takes the entire break, if not longer. Um, And I just, um, so I'd be writing to my Muso Mums groups just being like, guys is anyone else finding this really hard and it was it was a shared experience that we were all going how like how can we make this any better how can we it's so hard to you know keep pumping and keep doing this in the way that we're doing it um some of the mums are amazing and they will just like pull out all their gear and pump in front of anyone and sit there in the front row during the set break or whatever and do it for me I couldn't I couldn't get across like around having like literally having my nipples out in front of people. I'm very happy breastfeeding in front of people because there's a baby's head there, you know. But pumping feels a lot more exposed. And so I I tried to think about how we could possibly just inform people of what um, you know, what what it is, why it's important, how they can make it easier. Um I was inspired by um Alinta Chidsey, who's in our museum Mums group, she's going back, um, she's the lead in Moulin Rouge, and she was saying, you know, that the, the company have made all these amazing accommodations. Um, she's got a, a now five-month-old, I think. I'm really sorry if I got that wrong. But um, she's got a little Harley Rose, and they've made all of these accommodations to make sure that she can keep pumping and have Harley there to feed and have her partner there to um, bring her in and all of that. And I thought you know, if they can make those accommodations, maybe other people can too. Mm. So I was doing, um, I did three gigs for, not four gigs for the Midsummer Festival in Melbourne. Um, and I just put it out there and I just wrote to the people who are organising the gigs and said, hey, I'm a breastfeeding mum, Um here's some things that would be really good if I could have my own room to pump in or just a private room with a door that I could just say to people, Hey, I'm going into pump right now. Um, You know, if I could have a fridge to store the milk in, um, if I could have access to a sink. So these are just all the things that the, um, the ADA or the, you know, um, fair work actually say that you need to have in your workplace, but obviously it's harder when your workplace changes every week. Um, And you know what, they came back and they said, yes. And they, they gave me those things. And I went, oh, this is possible. It's not always possible, but it is possible a lot of the time for people to actually organise these things. And they were beautiful about it. They had my name on the door and they had my partner's name. They'd put everything in there that I could possibly need. Um, and I just, I thought, let's try and make this people know that they can ask for these things. Mm. Um, and so I started to become more vocal about it and then, Using those Muso Mums groups, I actually um, workshopped and found out what they were finding hard, what their suggestions are that we could put into it and um, came up with this infographic that basically just says, here. here's a bunch of things you can do. Well, firstly, here's why it's important. We need to keep our milk supply up um, and to do that, you have to pump every three to four hours. We need to be able to have a space to do it. It takes 25 minutes at least, you know, and so here's a list of things that you can do as a, band leader, as a um, venue manager um, to make sure that people who are pumping or breastfeeding can feel comfortable to do it at your venue or at your gig. Um, And the the response when I put it out to Facebook was just amazing. (laughs) Like I was overwhelmed. I thought a few people would sit and be like, oh, cool, that's great. I might borrow that and show it to some people. Like it got shared over to New Zealand. It got shared all around Melbourne and, um, and a bunch of different places Um, and I think people have really taken it on board. I know a lot of people that I work with have been like, um, you know, we're going into a set and the set time has been changed. They've been like, Hey Maddie, if you need to leave early to go and pump, you know, that's fine. The set time has changed. Just leave whenever you have to. Um, so they're making those accommodations. I mean, I really do, but it's nice to just be considered in that way and know that we have the option to like, Hey, if I really need to pump right now, I can just walk off and go, um, kind of thing so it's it's been quite a journey and then doing the mother load load, uh, interview was amazing as well Georgia Fields is incredible um, and you know made it all sound so lovely and succinct on my you know ramblings (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's it's been a real journey and I kind of coming over the other side of it now you know being 10 months old um you know he, he's he's getting to the stage where he only has like a few feeds a day and it's like oh wow I, I survived that I survived that having to pump and having to feed every three hours when those days where I was out at a gig out of town and I was you know out of the house for 12 hours it's like it's a lot and I feel quite I feel quite proud of myself and, and all the other mums that have done that and been through it and made it you know made it work
0: yeah absolutely no good on you I was I was so impressed when I saw it and it it probably, um, I can think of times when it would have come in really handy because I I guess I never thought to ask, it was never, it never occurred to me that, that I could ask, it was just like well this is your thing so you need to sort it out, I never sort of thought, I never, yeah it just never occurred to me so well done you, round of applause. On the interview with the mother load, you said something like times when you'd been pumping in a really yucky toilet stall and, you know, close to tears and you wondered, was it worth it? Hmm. Probably not at that moment, but later, did you sort of, you obviously thought that it was because you kept going. It was really important to you to be able to maintain that milk supply for your baby, but also, you know, it was important for you to to keep playing and to to keep that part of your life really active as well.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I know that I'm a better mum because I have my music as well. I really feel that deep down in my soul that, that having the music, especially, um, you know, and like doing the corporate gigs and everything, it's a bit of fun, you get a bit of money, it's pretty good. But the things like Fools and, and those jazz gigs that really feed my soul. I come back home and I'm completely revitalised as a parent, you know. Getting that time away from Sam, who is the most important and the most beautiful thing in my whole entire world, but getting the time away from him actually makes me appreciate him so much more. Um, I mean, I was, he was six weeks old when I did my first recording session back and it, I was out of the house for maybe eight hours. I mean, I hadn't been away from him for that long obviously. And it was, you know, I thought I would really struggle, but I, it was, um, it was an amazing recording session at, uh, Sing Sing South with Fools. And, and I came home and I just felt, I felt like myself again after six weeks of being completely attached to this small human and just being at his whim, whatever he needed, he needed, uh, on that moment. And, you know, I got to go away, step away from it and come back. And I was so grateful for that time. And I'm, I'm also so grateful that my amazing partner, Carlo, you know, does everything. He's, he's not scared of looking after the baby at all, you know, and he's been hands on from the very start. I mean, because there was no theater, you know, for the first eight months of Sam's life, Carlo's been with us aside from his teaching pretty much full time. So we've been able to really manage that between the two of us. Um, but yeah the having the the gigs to go to i think keeps me sane um it, you know before i went back to teaching it was the thing that kind of made me feel like me again and i think that's so important for uh, for creative parents to still have those things i i was never going to put down my trumpet and not play as a parent and and also I'm a really stubborn human being and if someone tells me like, oh, you're not going to want to play much once you, once you have your baby, you're going to want to just stay home, I was like, uh-huh, sure, 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 cool, 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 all right, watch me go. <laughs> and so now I'm, I think I'm even more determined than before. I think I've been practising even more than I was before I had a baby because I'm just like, you know what, I want to go out there and show people that being a mum I mean, being a parent in general, but especially being a mum does not stop you from being an amazing musician, an amazing artist, an amazing teacher, whatever it is that you do. It's another thing in your life that is very, very important. And yes, your priorities change, but it doesn't stop you being amazing at what you do in that moment. And I've had people kind of, you know, second guess that I've had people be like, oh, so oh, you're back at gigs. Oh, really? That's, that's soon? Oh, that's interesting. And you know what? I just say to them, I'm like, why wouldn't I be? Actually, I think you'll find I'm playing better than I was beforehand. So there. <laughs>
0: you've, you've put so much effort into like all the background. They, they just see you at the gig. They haven't seen you prepare um, everything at home, have the milk ready, you know, do everything you need to do to make sure you can do this gig. Because a similar thing happened to me. I did my first gig back with Digby when he was seven weeks old. And the same thing, someone said to me, oh, where's your baby? And I was just like, if you knew what I have, I've moved heaven and earth to make this day possible. Um, As I was playing up at Kunawara, which is about an hour away, and I was there for about five hours. So I was away from him for a while. I thought, you've got no
1: idea. I, that's my, that is my, and people ask it in a nice way and they ask it with the most like sincerity and they go, oh, where's the baby? And that's one question that I just can't stand because it just kind of grates on me because it, it makes you feel like, oh, I should be looking after, should I be looking after the baby? Where like, you know, it's like the baby's with his dad. He's fine. <laughs> like, you know? yes. and it, you're, you've, you've done so much to be able to, you know, going to a gig now isn't just like, you know, oh, you've done your practice on the days before and you just, you know, get your trumpet and walk out the door. Going to a gig now means scheduling time in for practice every day leading up to it to make sure that you're on top of it, which I, I reckon I'm more on top of my gigs now because I have to schedule things. I have to make that time. Doing all the pumping, getting the bottles ready, getting the food ready, making sure the babysitter is sorted, making sure everyone knows where everything is, you know, what's the bedtime routine, you know, have I fed the kid now, should I feed him right before I go... It's such a different thing now. It, and, and for people to be questioning that and being like, oh, where's the baby? It's something that really grates on me. Maybe I should make another infographic about not asking that question. <laughs> I think I, I just um, I'm very passionate about, um, you know, uh, I am, you know, low-key quite a feminist. And one of the things that really bugs me is, you know, when I think about would people ask a dad about that would they say do you you know is there dad guilt or you know a dad comes into a gig or goes to work and someone says oh where's your baby that doesn't happen you know or someone says oh you're back gigging already wow that's amazing like good on you that just doesn't happen and so you know the mum guilt thing I think dad should be feeling it just as much and I'm lucky enough that my partner feels a lot of dad guilt he comes home you know when he goes out to work and he he calls me and he says, can you send me a photo? I miss him, you know, and and I think that the the feeling that it should be all on mums to be there and to be looking after everything, it's not fair, it's not equitable. Having said that, you know, we do, of course, we miss our kids, like, I miss Sam so much. When I go out to a gig, I do miss him and I look at photos and I show everyone photos and, you know, I miss him and I go, oh, but no part of me ever feels like, oh, I should be at home. It's not fair to him because it it wouldn't be fair to him if I was at home all the time and I was a sad person because of it and so that's where I just think you've got to look at the balance of things yeah he's going to miss me for a few hours but I'm going to be a better mum because of it and I really truly believe that making like doing the work that we do anything that makes you feel happy and passionate um you know that makes you a better person and a better parent and so you can't feel guilty for taking that time and I really do I, I look at music completely differently now You know, when I go out to do my gigs, it's not like, oh, I'm going to go do a gig. Now it's like, this is my time. This is my time to do something that makes me feel really good and and nourishes my soul. And that's going to make me feel better about being at home. So I don't know if I answered the question at all, but my take on mum guilt (laughs) is, you know, don't feel it. Just don't because we're allowed to go out and do these things to our souls too. It's so important. I think mums often get put into a mum box and people go, you should be looking after your kid, you know, you shouldn't be doing things for yourself. And that's that, that kind of, um, that's word I'm looking for, like, you know, we completely surrender, we're expected to completely surrender everything about ourselves to be a parent. But it's just not feasible in the long run if you want to be a happy and whole person. I am a trumpet player and I'm passionate about that. I'm a music teacher and I'm very passionate about that too. And I'm a mum and I'm very passionate about that. And I can still be all of those three things. And they don't have to, I mean, they're going to impact each other. Of course they are. But they don't have to cancel each other out. You can't only be one of those. I mean, you you don't have to just be one of those things. Um, And, you know, I think keeping my identity has, like I said earlier, it's kept me sane. It's kept me feeling like parenting is the most amazing thing on earth. And it truly is because I've been able to keep that part of myself and share it with Sam too. Like he's come out to a bunch of gigs. He's got his little headphones on. I think the first I think the first gig he came out to potentially was New Year's Eve and myself and Carlo were playing together. So my mom and my stepdad came along and, and held Sam there and he watched us play and he, of course, would have had no idea what was going on because he was only like eight weeks old. But playing for Sam felt amazing. It just felt like a completely different experience to be able to share my craft with him, you know. Um, And so I went. That, I want him to grow up knowing that that's a part of me and also having that be a part of him and want him to be proud of me too. I want him to see me on stage and see his dad on stage and go, hey, that's, that's my mum. That's my dad. How cool is that? I just really want him to think I'm cool. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> well, my... musicians as well so you know I always saw them on stage and it was just I was so proud I thought they were the coolest people ever you know (laughs) I was like oh my gosh look at them singing and dancing around it's so cool and you know I just think it's such an amazing thing for kids to grow up seeing their parents um you know pursuing their like their things that make them happy and doing it publicly as well it's even better. (laughs)
0: Did it surprise you, you know, there's been so much change in terms of how breastfeeding has been accepted over the years. It's it's taken a while, but breastfeeding is commonly accepted pretty much everywhere now, um, even if it might annoy someone. But did it surprise you then that the pumping of the breast milk was just no one had any idea about it?
1: It it surprised me because I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. So when I had Sam and I, like, I knew about breast pumps and I knew that you 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 could pump milk so that you could feed them from a bottle. That's all I knew. I didn't know about maintaining supply. I didn't know about, you know, the supply and demand um, part of breastfeeding. I just thought the milk was always there and you just get it out when you want it kind of thing. Um, and so finding out that this would be part of, you know, leaving the house and leaving Sam alone was that I'd have to be doing this pumping. It was actually quite upsetting um because you know when I started to pump I was like wow this is pretty intense it takes a lot of effort to get everything on and then you know when I first started pumping nothing was coming out and so I really had to work on relaxing and you know looking at pictures of Sam to try and you know get the letdown happening and then getting out and talking to people and finding out then that they knew nothing about it too. I actually wasn't surprised that they knew nothing because I knew nothing about it. I'd never seen somebody pump before. I'd never talked to people about pumping before. So me being the loudmouth I am, I went out and started telling everyone all about it. I get to a gig and be like, right, guys, I need to pump it this time. I need to pump it this time. Here's why I need to do it. You want to see the equipment? Look, here's some of my milk. Isn't this amazing? Like, how cool is the human body? Um, And, you know, a lot of people just said, wow, I had no idea. Um, But it it didn't surprise me because neither did I. And (laughs) and it's just not really talked about. Everyone knows about breastfeeding, but not everyone knows about the pumping side of it, Um, you know, or, yeah, it's it's kind of, it almost feels like it's a bit taboo. It's in the background. It's things that people don't see. And, you know, I've got a, a great friend of mine who had to exclusively pump for six months. And she said, by the end, she'd just walk around wearing a pump no matter who was around because you just have to. When, you, when you're exclusively pumping every three hours, it just takes up so much of your time and so much of your life. Um, so it'd be great for that to become a little bit more visible. And that was part of, you know, me getting this out there was, trying to help people make it feel more normal
0: Mm. yeah no that's great um when you did find out about the effort that was involved did you ever have a moment where you just thought oh it's just it's too much I just did you ever have that moment where you thought no I can't do it
1: look it would it would have only been fleeting moments I think Once I was (laughs) pumping at – I don't know if you've ever been to this venue in Melbourne, the Night Cat. It's known as one of, like, the dingiest venues but also super fun. But, you know, those those are the – the Night Cat toilets are where I used to go as a 17-year-old when I was too drunk to, like, you know, open a door and be like, oh, you know. And I was pumping in there and sitting on the thing and just going, oh, I can't touch anything. And I was like, this sucks. This sucks. Like, should I just do formula? But I really – I really just wanted to, and it was almost like a challenge within myself, I just wanted to see how long I could exclusively feed for. And, you know, I just felt I feel so privileged that I was able to breastfeed and not everyone can, um, you know, for medical reasons, for, you know, mental, reason, mental health reasons. There are so many people that just can't do it. And I, you know, it came so easy to me. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to take this for granted. It's amazing that I can give my kid the very best nutrition in the whole world for him. There's nothing better than breast milk. Um, I'm going to make the most of this. And so I, you know, I had my moments of wanting to give up, but they were fleeting. And, you know, I kept going with it and I'm still going with it now. He still feeds about, gosh, about six times a day at 10 months old, which is a lot. But, you know, we just do it. And it's, I've not ever been, you know, some people, um, you know, they say, oh, I love breastfeeding so much. Like, it's a really beautiful bond between me and my baby. I'm not one of those people. I don't know why. I didn't get that gene that was like, oh, this is so beautiful and loving. I do it because it's easy and because it nourishes him. Um, and, you know, there are bits of it that I like. It's just a lot easier, mostly. <laughs> um, you know, but we've we've kept going and, and I'm really glad that I did.
0: Yeah. Like, good, yeah. on yeah, good on you. Yep, good on you. There's a photo on article on the mother load of. He's sitting on your lap. They've got the trumpet in his mouth. Absolutely beautiful.
1: Well, my partner's in that photo as well. He was he was filling in with fools. So the two of us were at rehearsal. We were like, "What are we going to do? We take the kid with us. We put on his little headphones, and he came into rehearsal. And it was actually, it was a pretty special moment for him to be, you know, for my my whole family to be there with my fools family. It was it was really lovely. Yeah. And um, that's that photo is actually. You know, the, um, the first one on social media of him is we, we haven't put any photos on, but that just felt so special. We needed to share it.
0: It is lovely to be able to continue that family tradition, like your parents involved and now you and involving your son. I think that's just beautiful. Music's awesome.
1: It's always been such a, such a positive thing in my world in every way possible, that it just it feels like something that I want him to experience as well not necessarily to become a um, you know a, not to become a professional musician but just to be able to have all of those amazing social skills um, that come from working in a team you know the the uh, cognitive skills that come from learning music and just the joy that comes from making music I mean if, if you can if you can do it why wouldn't you why wouldn't you share that with your family mm-hmm. uh, I remember Around the piano when we were kids, and Dad would be playing, playing songs to us, and we just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. And I look back at that, and I go, "I'm, I'm so glad that we were introduced to music at such a young age, and and given the option. And it was always an option, but we were given the option to um, pursue it in whatever way we wanted to. And we all ended up as brass players doing music degrees. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> sorry, Dad. Who <laughs> <Hey, laughs> wanted to doctors and lawyers? <laughs>
0: So who started the, the trend of the brass in your family then?
1: My older sister pl- started on the trombone um, and then I did the trumpet, I'm the middle one, and then the younger one started on the corner as well. But, <laughs> but I actually, when I was in about year seven, I got the Arbans, which is like the trumpet book. It's the book, you know. And I, I sat down and tried to play some of it with my poor little sister who was only in, you know, grade four at the time going, Oh, Maddie, I can't play this. And I was like, you just gotta, you just play it. You just do it like this. I wasn't a very good teacher then, clearly. And uh, the next day she put down her trumpet and never picked it up again and picked up the trombone instead. <laughs> she went, I'm not playing the trumpet anymore. And Maddie made me feel bad about it. <laughs> so now she's a trombone player.
0: She's <laughs> got her <it> for life.
1: <laughs> I have a lot of guilt about that. You talk about mum guilt, I've got sister guilt. <laughs> Very good at the trombone now, though, so it's okay. Maybe it (laughs) it
0: was meant to be. Maybe that was her her path in life. You just had to guide her slightly.
1: (laughs) She just knew she couldn't follow in my footsteps, so she had to try (laughs) other ones.
0: also want to ask you You said before about you your muso mums um did you find because you were friends before you had children did you find then did you find that that there was little comparison with your muso mums group
1: absolutely like the, the muso mums group is super supportive everyone you know it's it's very real we write about all of our challenges you know we write about all the really bad things and we tell each other about the good things too um, and everybody is like, there's no comparison. There's no, um, you know, oh my, my child sleeps better than yours. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be losing pretty badly. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, you, like, it, you're right. Like being already being friends. I mean, some of the, a couple of the girls in the group, you know, I didn't know so well beforehand, and now we're all so close. We, you know, text pretty much daily, and and just build each other up and just make each other feel like everything's okay and everything's going to be okay. And I'm, I'm really lucky actually in my um, local parents group, um, there's a couple of girls in there who have become, you know, some of my closest friends, you know, and we we really look after each other as well, you know, all living on the same street and, you know, supporting each other in that way too. So I think you can get lucky with the people you end up with, you know, you can get unlucky, it just really depends. And I, I've absolutely lucked out in finding Um, I even have a third mother's group, if you believe that, (laughs) another one, Um, and everyone's just really amazing and supportive, and and no one ever makes me feel like what my child is doing isn't okay, and I think that's such an important part of being, I think, especially a mum, you know, because we tend to be the ones kind of um you know and this is generalizing and it's not in every situation um it depends on your circumstances and the set of parents and whatnot but we do tend to be the ones who kind of know where the milestones are meant to be and we're the ones waking up generally every night if we're breastfeeding all through the night to feed the baby so we tend to be the ones that end up getting sucked into those comparisons and those kind of competitions um and i think just being really mindful of making other people A, never feel bad about what their child can or can't do, um, but B, not, you know, not saying my child can do this to try and, you know, show off, but to be like, hey, let's all rejoice in this together. My child can do this. What new, you know, what is your child doing this week that's really amazing and really special? Um, because I think it can turn into a bit of a competition and that's mm-hmm. that makes me sad. But I'm so grateful that I have ended up with all people around me who are just beautiful and supportive and amazing and I love them all so much. life after baby really has made me kind of consider how much free time I had beforehand, even though I was working like, I was doing like 70 hour weeks and still getting to the gym three or four times a week and still had free time outside of that. And now it's kind of like probably the biggest surprise has been just how time consuming a child is. You know, I kind of thought you put them down for a nap and then they'd sleep for a couple of hours and you get stuff done and then you come back to them. Um, And my child, beautiful Sam, he is the most incredible child in the world, does not like sleep. I think he's allergic to sleep. So, you know, his naps are sometimes only 15 minutes. Um, You know, if we get really lucky, it's an hour. Really, really lucky, I think once or twice he's done an hour and a half um, on his own. Um, And and I think, you know, a big thing as a musician has had to be prioritizing and scheduling. So sometimes now I have to practice the trumpet with a mute in at 1130 PM because that's the only time I get to do it. And I think, you know, everyone said to me beforehand, like, you, you, you won't even know what you used to do with all your free time. And I was like, dude, I'm pretty busy. Like, I know what it feels like to not have free time. Now, after having a kid, it's like, oh, I know what it feels like to never have a moment to yourself because literally now any um and I say literally in the actual way it's meant to be used if I have free time I'm off into the studio to practice um if he actually goes down for a nap it's practice time and so now I pretty much don't ever have any time to myself without the horn on my face um and that's been that's been a bit of a shock to me I think um you know would I would have love to have known that beforehand that it really is that intense and I'm sure it will get easier as we go along um and as he gets older you know but then if we add another one to the mix we go through the whole thing again and then it's even more chaotic I'm sure (laughs) um but yeah I think that's probably been one of the most surprising things as a as an artist and and a mum kind of just how much I need to use any little scrap of free time to make sure that I can still maintain my craft
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: When I used to sit down and do half an hour of practice, I reckon probably 20 minutes of that was like looking on Facebook or, you know, rearranging my books or, you know, playing with a little thing on the trumpet. Now, if I sit down to practice for half an hour, I am practicing hard for half an hour because I know that there's not going to be another half hour or if there is, then I've got to use that half hour really well, you know. So it really does change the way you kind of focus and, and knuckle down on things because there's just no there's no room for faffing. You mm-hmm. just can't faffing, yeah. faffing is faffing is cancelled the moment that child comes out of you. <laughs> but sometimes my sisters come over to look after Sam just so I can go and practice. If I'm having a particularly hard day, they live close, which is lucky. But I'll just be like, hey guys, I haven't been able to get anything done today, and they'll just come over. They'll sit with them, you know, for an hour or two. I'll get some washing done. I'll jump in the studio. I'll have a shower, whatever it is. And and having that support has made it all possible. You know, you just need people. You need you know you need a village to make it all work.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm so lucky
1: that I have an amazing village around me. Um, you know and I know it would be harder for people that don't and I know of people who don't have family here and it's bloody hard Mm -hmm. and I just I don't know how they do it you know single parents I am absolutely in awe of anybody who raises a child alone I can't even fathom how hard that would be um you know so I'm I'm very privileged to be able to make it work and I feel I feel very lucky for that stuff coming up with Fools. Um, hopefully we'll be doing a little mini East Coast tour at the start of October. May or may not happen. Um, but then also we've got a gig in Menon in mid-October and another one in Brunswick, I think, in November. Um, so that will, will be very fun. Um, Jazz Lab Orchestra is about to do... Um, a re- recording for a new album And um, they play at the Jazz Lab Every month as well um, COVID permitting we've, be, we've lost our first view unfortunately Our last view unfortunately um, But yeah that's the, Those are the main things coming up So get on board
0: Madison, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. It has been so much fun. You've given me lots of laughs today. All the best with your full Gig. And well done again for opening people's eyes to the challenges of pumping and um, returning to gigs. So, yeah, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Alison. It's been an absolute pleasure to be on the show. <laughs>
0: If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please contact me at the link in the bio or send me an email at alisonnewman.net.